Friends, we are indeed in Acts chapter 12. You guys may remember that we had started preaching through the book of Acts and then we stopped when I took a sabbatical this summer. But as we love to do in this church, we preach through books verse by verse and really just saturate ourselves with a particular book of the Bible. So we're going to pick back up in Acts chapter 12, and this is an extremely intense scene that um, we're going to read about persecution and suffering among the church that's happening in Jerusalem. So I'm going to read from Acts chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword, and when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands, and the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened to them on its own accord, and they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. Now when Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he had knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, it is an angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison, and he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers, and then he departed and went to another place. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray that even in this moment, you will make us watchful, a watchful and a prayerful people to hear and to learn from you by the power of your Spirit. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, you see that Jerusalem is hot with persecution right now, and the situation for believers, new Christians, in this new movement is bleak. So you've got believing families who see this, and they begin packing their things and fleeing from the city of Jerusalem. We read earlier in the book, they're just running to other cities to get away from this city. And many of those who don't or who can't leave and leave in a huff are arrested. Herod sees that this is making everybody happy, so he jumps into the fray and he throws a bunch of Christians in prison. That means that Jesus' closest three friends on earth, Peter, James, and John, they are in trouble. James is arrested and he is beheaded. 
Peter is arrested and he's put on death row. And so John is probably keeping a very low profile in the city right now. Now you read about that kind of suffering among saints in our Bibles and it can't help but make us think about our suffering and what we are experiencing in any given moment in our own story. What do we do when we feel the walls closing in on us? What do we do when there are circumstances here that we are powerless to change? Where do we go with these fears? Well, surprisingly, when the story actually focuses in on Peter, he's not fretting, he's not pacing, he's not worrying about his fate. Verse 6 tells us he was sleeping. He was sleeping. Can you imagine sleeping at a time like this? But as we're going to see as we study this, not all sleeping is created equal. Scripture can use sleep literally and figuratively to illustrate both weakness and strength, sleepy sin and confident trust. So I want to take this theme of sleep and I want to tease this out a little bit. When is sleep this strength, this confident trust as we're seeing now? And when is another moment where sleep is Weakness, sleep is not trusting and believing and following the Lord in that moment. So let's start by talking about sleeping in weakness. I want to take us away from this scene in Acts 12 of Peter sleeping and find another moment in scripture where he's sleeping and see what's going on. And that famous moment of Peter's sleep, of course, is the Garden of Gethsemane. Peter falling asleep at Jesus' greatest hour of need. You may know the story, Jesus, on the night he's betrayed, he grabs these three close friends that we just heard about, and he brings them to the garden, and he says, you three wait here and pray, I'm going to go a little bit further and pray, and watch and wait for me, this is my hour in which I need you. You ever have somebody do that for you, or have you ever done that for another person, where you simply watch and wait with them? in a hospital room or in a courtroom or together to hear news that you're not ready to hear by yourself. There's a powerful thing in a friend waiting with you in a moment. But of course, on this night, the three friends fail to wait and watch and Jesus finds them sleeping and is awkward. I had a college roommate who he was on the hall in our dorm and a friend asked him, "Um, would you pray with me? I got a lot going on in my life and I'm struggling and I don't know what to do. Would you pray with me? My friend said, absolutely. They went into the room. They knelt on the bed. They began to pray. And my friend woke up like 45 minutes later. He had fallen asleep on the bed kneeling. There was like drool on the bed The friend was gone. He never talked to him again. It's awkward in that moment to leave someone hanging when they need you. And that's exactly what Jesus' friends do to him. They chose comfort over watchfulness. When Jesus comes back to them in Matthew 26, he singles Peter out and says, Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. 
The temptation Jesus is talking about is, of course, what he had just told him in the previous paragraph, Peter's denial. That's about to happen. And when Peter is about to face his greatest spiritual trial, rather than waiting up and watching and praying to prepare his heart and mind, he's sleeping. He's sleeping when he needs the presence of Jesus most in his life. So the issue here is not, should Peter get eight hours of sleep per night per doctor's recommendation, right? We're not talking about good night's sleep. We're saying the issue is that he would sleep when there is such spiritual danger at hand. So in Scripture, sleepiness, it can be a metaphor for careless slothfulness when facing temptation. Jesus, he actually told us this grand story about this to think about sleepiness in the face of temptation when he said, what if you knew that a thief was going to come to your house and steal all of your possessions? What if better than that, you actually knew the hour that the thief was going to come to your house and take everything you cared about? Would you go to sleep? Would you fall asleep that night? And since we have watched Home Alone, we know exactly what we would do when Harry and Marv are standing outside the open window and loud whisper, we're coming and we're coming at nine o'clock sharp and we are the most punctual thieves ever. What does Kevin do? He gets ready for war. He doesn't even have time to eat his mac and cheese. He is ready when the thief comes. He is watchful. But as much as we'd like to fancy ourselves as Kevin McAllister in the Chicago suburbs, more often than not, we are Peter in the garden, sleepy in the face of sin and temptation. That's why Paul is so urgent when he speaks to believers, like in our call to worship, Romans 13, 11, you know the time that the hour has come, believer, for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. He says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 6, so then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be awake and sober. In our passage, Acts 12, that is Literally what the church is doing this night. In verse 5, they make earnest prayer for Peter was made to God by the church. Verse 12, when Peter in the middle of the night escapes from prison and the angel lets him out and he goes to Mary's house, he finds that the church is still awake, still praying, still asking God to deliver. The church is awake and she is praying into the night for God's deliverance. She doesn't want to presume that God will bring deliverance. She doesn't want to sleep and miss God's deliverance. She is awake. She is watching. She is praying. In this moment, there is something more important than literal and figurative sleep. It is watching and waiting for God to deliver. Church, wake up. Church, wake up. Watch and wait that you might not enter temptation. I see a room full of willing spirits and weak bodies. Stay awake, 
Stay sober and watch for the thief who will take what is yours in the kingdom and watch and wait for the Savior who will appear. Stay awake. When we saw Peter in the garden, he was sleeping in weakness. He was sleeping in laziness. But we get to watch him sleeping in strength in prison in our passage. There is a right kind of sleep and there is a right kind of rest to be had for the believer and that is to sleep and rest in the sovereign hands of God. So when we fast forward to this scene with Peter, funny enough, he's sleeping again, but this time it's different. This time he has a faithful trust in what God is going to do. When you focus in on this passage, it's almost comical because Peter, I mean, he's in a terrible situation. He's just been thrown into prison We said that Jerusalem is ablaze with persecution. One of his dearest friends in the world has just been executed and he knows that he's next. And so the church is so afraid that she is up praying all night and Peter, who is supposed to be the fearless leader of the church in Jerusalem, is sleeping. He's asleep. And in fact, he's sleeping so hard That when an angel appears in the middle of the night in bright, shining glory, he doesn't wake up. And the angel, and this is awkward, he actually has to go to wake him up. Like his presence alone didn't just like shake him out of sleep. He's got to strike him. And that word there, strike, is not like your mom shaking you and saying it's time for school. That's the same Greek word that Peter does to the servant Malchus when he picks up a sword and strikes him on the ear. The angel is shaking Peter awake. Wake up, something's about to happen. It's funny, but it's beautiful. Because when Peter was sleeping in the garden, it was in weakness. It was this lazy carelessness in the face of temptation. But now when he sleeps in prison, he sleeps in strength. He looks like Jesus sleeping on a boat in the Sea of Galilee when a storm is raging and the disciples are running around because they think they're about to die and they have to shake Jesus to wake him up. That's what Peter looks like right now. Peter and Jesus rest in the sovereign hands of God. We know this was Peter's mindset. We know that he was looking and waiting even in sleep for the Lord's work because he speaks about God acting with confidence twice in our passage. Look at verse 11. He says, Now I'm sure the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hands of Herod. Verse 17, he goes to the all-night prayer team and he says, He described to them how the Lord had brought him out of prison. When Peter went to bed, in that prison cell, chained between two guards, awaiting a fate that he didn't know what it was going to be, he knew three things that all of us as believers need to know in suffering. That God is good, that God has all power, and there is nothing that our anxious worrying can do about our situation. There is actually a psalm related to sleep Related to each one of those elements, 
Peter was nursed on the Psalms, he knew this well. Number one, that God has all power. Write down this reference, Psalm 121.4. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Believer, the reason you can go to bed at night is because God doesn't. The reason you can sleep is because God neither slumbers nor sleeps. He has all power to hold us. But number two, God is good. Psalm 4, 8. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. God is watching and God has the power to make us dwell in safety. Number three, anxious fretting gets us nothing. Psalm 127.2, it's in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Now as somebody who struggles with insomnia and someone who takes medicine to sleep, I've often wrestled with that passage. If he gives to his beloved sleep, why can't I sleep tonight? But there's a a rest in the Lord that can even happen in the middle of the night where I say, I'm his beloved and I can't literally sleep, but I can figuratively sleep and I am in sovereign hands right now. That's the gift of the beloved. Peter knew these things. So what do we do with this? How do we take this? I hope I haven't delved too metaphorically into Peter's sleep life. Some of you are getting dozy just thinking about it, thinking about this Sunday afternoon nap. Am I going to do it in weakness or in strength? But you need to know that there is such a thing as spiritually sleepwalking through our Christian lives. Do you know that? I don't even have to explain what that is. You know what I'm talking about. To have the name of believer, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to have access to his word, and to spiritually sleepwalk through this life. I know this all too well. We confess this all too well in our confession of sin. It's to tune out the things of God. It's not even to be a flagrant sinner. It's not even to do awful things. It's just to tune out the things of God and live a very material life like to numb the anxieties of the day, not with flagrant sin, but with a steady drip of distraction. I don't want to think about what I'm worried about, and I'm not even going to run to the Lord with it. I just want to not think at all. I want to be distracted, and it usually starts with a screen or with a drink or with a purchase, something that can get my mind off of this and onto nothing, and we sleepwalk or to coast through events or meetings or relationships throughout the day, would I even think to stop and pray about coffee with a friend? Or do I just coast through every conversation and every relationship without looking and waiting upon the Lord? Or it's to blindly presume that because God is going to do what God is going to do, because he's so sovereign, he doesn't need me, that there's no reason to watch and to wait and to pray and to sleepwalk through that. To those who sleep in weakness, Scripture says, wake up. Church, wake up. Be alert. Attend to the things of God. There is something here more valuable than sleep 
or entertainment or distraction. It is the very presence of God himself in our suffering. Church, wake up. We head to Mary's house. We head to the church in these days who are up all night waiting, wrestling, praying, seeking the things of God. But the alternative to sleeping in weakness is not like anxious busyness. It's not like, okay, I don't want to be careless, so I want to be overactive in my Christian life. There is a sense in which it is the right kind of sleeping and trusting. It's sleeping in strength. If I'm growing in my Christian walk to know that God is good and that he has all power and that my anxious striving will not add anything to this situation, then I get to begin to experience God's gift of sleeping in strength to sleep in God's sovereign hands. Peter understood this reality. He was able to see for himself the sacrifice of God's son, Jesus. He knew as he followed his Savior and watched his Savior be crucified on his behalf for his salvation, that if God was willing to do this with his son, how would he not also freely give Peter and freely give us all things? If God was going to shun us, if he was going to leave us hanging when we needed him, when it feels like the walls are pressing in, believer, he would have done that before he saved you. But if he has given you himself in his son, if he has sealed you to Christ, if you are his and you stand to gain his inheritance, if all that is yours, then actually all other suffering, no matter how significant it feels in the moment, is small compared to that, how will God not also freely give us all things? I don't want to be callous or cavalier about suffering, as my brother Trevor said. I look out in this room and I see deep suffering. Multiple people in this church with cancer. Multiple people who have lost loved ones. Multiple people. Somebody who has experienced suicide in their family. Those who are experiencing addiction. Those who have broken relationships. Those who marriages might not make it to 2022. I see that suffering and I tell you church. If God has given you his son. If he holds you. You might be James and meet that fateful end in God's sovereign hands, or you might be Peter and meet a different end in God's sovereign hands. But I tell you on the authority of Scripture, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord, the Lord delivers us out of them all. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, you are our great deliverer. Would you prove yourself so and would you attend to us in our suffering and in our trials and show that you are the great deliverer. Show that you are the one that holds us, that we can rest in you, that you give to your beloved sleep. Prove that we ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen.